So James, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. I am always astounded by the quality of Pod News, which is a newsletter you managed to put out every single weekday of the year. So for those of you, you know, out there who haven't subscribed to Pod News, it's at podnews.net. It is the daily newsletter for all digital on-demand audio. And James, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background of how you got started with it? Yeah, it's perfect. You couldn't have said it better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the background of Pod News is really connected to my background. I've been working in radio for 29 years and started doing podcasts in January of 2005. So just to put you into some form of context, iTunes, I think, launched podcasts in August of 2005. So this was before Apple got involved. And I was working for a radio station called Virgin Radio in the UK. And we thought that doing a daily podcast would be a good idea. And so we started doing one. And that was the first RSS feed that I hand coded. So I've always been interested in podcasting, always been interested in the work of people who are producing great on-demand audio. I think it's part of radio. I think it's part of the history. It's part of the future of radio, certainly. And I think, you know, it's certainly something that I'm keen in following. And, and there was a conversation that I had about two and a half years or so ago. I was out for a beer with an American friend of mine, and he was saying, there's nowhere really to go and find news about podcasting. And I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's something that I can do. And so started looking at it in May of 2017 and figured that this might be an interesting thing to do as a side hustle with all of the other things that I end up doing. And it's taking more and more of my time now, which is great and really enjoying sticking it together every single day. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you've only been doing it, I guess, for less than two years then. Yeah. So for less than two years. Yeah, it was interesting sort of working out, well, what time of day should I do it? You know, what software should I use and all of that kind of stuff. But it's grown very, very fast. So at the moment, we're on 5,100 people getting it every single day, plus the amount of people getting it as a podcast, because it's also available in that form as well. Right. It links to websites. So you probably don't want the podcast. Podcast is a little bit, it's a little bit pointless. You're not reading every single article on the podcast also. <laughs> Thankfully, the podcast is only two minutes long. Okay. But uh, yeah, you know, so it's been growing very, very fast, which has been really nice. And was that a surprise to you? It was. So I went to Podcast Movement last year and I turned up in an embroidered shirt because I thought, well, I might as well get a few of these people who won't have the faintest idea what Pod News is. I might as well get a few of these people signed up and started walking through the halls and people coming up to me and saying, oh, wow, you're the Pod News guy. <laughs> and I just suddenly thought, wow, this is much bigger than I thought that it was. And clearly I've got a long way to go. And clearly, you know, there are certain things that I can do to make Pod News a better thing. Well, let's talk about that maybe then. What are the plans for the future? You know, where do you see it heading? <laughs> well, that would be telling, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. So one of the things that I try and do with Pod News is not just to focus on New York or on the US, but to actually focus on all of podcasting going on all across the world. You know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff coming out of the UK and, and Australia, where I'm talking to you from now. But there's also a load of really interesting things happening in countries where English isn't the first language. Right. You know, so it's growing very, very rapidly in India, for example. China, it is incredibly lucrative. It earns significantly more money than anywhere else on planet Earth in terms of podcasting. 
So all of this stuff means, I think, that, you know, I would like to get better at finding news and covering news from places where I don't speak that particular language. And obviously, being a lazy Brit, as you can tell that I am, <laughs> I only speak one language, and that's the Queen's English. And you, sir, are doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I am sure that I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> but do you feel that your background, you know, coming from the UK and now living in Australia, do you feel like that has changed your perspective on the podcasting industry? Like from where I sit, I am in New York and, you know, it can feel very US and specifically New York and East Coast centric. Yeah, I think it does. And I think it's very easy to just cover what's coming out of the US because, you know, clearly podcasting is very large in the US. There's lots of money being poured into it. And so therefore, you know, there's always lots of news coming out of there. But I think actually, you know, looking at it from overseas, as I've been doing, and I've been looking at the US radio industry for a long, long time from overseas, you do get the feeling that, yes, there is an awful lot going on. But goodness me, there's also an awful lot of very interesting things going on in other countries as well. And actually stuff that we can all... So I think, you Absolutely. know, keeping our eyes on what's going on, you know, in India, which is growing significantly faster than anywhere else, and of course has loads of people there as well, you know, those sorts of things I think will give us ideas of how to keep on growing our industry as we move on. Right. You mentioned that you see podcasting as fitting into, you know, both the history and the future of radio. How did you decide that this is going to be the thing that you want to spend time on? I mean, you met a guy at a bar and you had a chat about <laughs> emails or about like there's no yeah. newsletter, but obviously it fits into something a little bit broader than that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at, uh, so I'm going to talk radio for a little bit, and I know that there's a sort of a history of radio and podcasting hating each other, but <laughs> really that's not a history that I think is particularly helpful. When you look at audio consumption, if you look at live radio, you know, radio has always succeeded as being a very live, intimate medium, which mm -hmm. podcasts aren't. Podcasts are on demand. Podcasts are there when you want them. But when you start looking at how people are using mobile phones, how people are using new technology, then actually they are using far more on-demand content than they are live. And in fact, the amount of listening to live radio on mobile phones, because of course people have been streaming live radio for a long, long time, that amount of listening is actually going down. Okay. So there's a big difference there, I think, between how radio consumption continues to be really successful with things that are speakers. But when you start looking at your own personal devices, then actually the amount of live radio is going down and the amount of on-demand media that we listen to, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Deezer, whether that's podcasting, whether that's all kinds of other things, that is really increasing. And I think that there's some really interesting things that we could be doing in that platform as we move forward. And so I very much felt, well, wow, you know, there is definitely something here. The other sort of side of it is that radio more and more has become much more consolidated, much more, you know, owned by two or three very large companies. Right. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But what that does mean is that there are far fewer opportunities for people that want to be involved in radio as they grow up. Because all of a sudden, you know, everything is syndicated from cities hundreds of miles away. And so therefore, there isn't the opportunity there. Whereas the beautiful thing about podcasting, right now at least, is that it's a very level playing field. 
And anybody can be there. Anybody can have a hit in Apple Podcasts or in Google Podcasts or in Spotify. Anybody can have a hit with their podcast. And it doesn't matter if you're a major, you know, large recording studio or frankly, you're just, you know, one guy in their bedroom. You can still do that. And I think that is probably what makes podcasting so exciting to me. Absolutely. It's such a special thing. It's very rare on the internet these days for independent folks to be able to reach a large audience at all because so much consumption is controlled by Google, Facebook, and Twitter. You know, that's basically mm. the vast majority of all consumption is filtered through those three portals, right? So the idea that there is this kind of somewhat decentralized and still open medium out there is certainly one of the things that attracted me to the medium as well. Yeah. And I think what I found fascinating, again, walking around podcast movement last year was, you know, seeing that there were three, basically there were three floors. I don't know if you got this feeling when you were there. Uh There was a floor at the top where everybody was wearing suits and talking about cost per thousand and talking about ad networks and doing all of that stuff. There was a floor at the bottom which was full of radio people. And they looked mostly terrified, um, not knowing quite what (laughs) earth was going on. And then there was a floor in the middle. And the floor in the middle was people learning how podcasting worked. People who, you know, one person I bumped into was a lawyer in his day job, but was still a nice guy, but ended up (laughs) producing a great podcast. And I think that's a very healthy place to end up being, you know, where you've got different parts of the industry who are all frankly working together, you know, making a product which is so part of people's media consumption now. Absolutely. We went to Podcast Movement basically just over a month after we started Chartable. And, you know, we didn't know anyone going in. And we, much like you, were trying to meet people. We didn't have any embroidered shirts, so we didn't get any um, <laughs> love in the hallways. But we were able to talk to a lot of people. And it was a wide gamut of folks. The radio folks who seemed very jaded about podcasts. Hmm. We talked to, you know, the big podcasting companies like for example, the Vox Media or Wonderies of the world who, you know, have like zillions of downloads and are dominating the charts. And then you talk to people who are just like doing it out of like love and passion, which is just, I hate to sound so cynical. It just seems like so rare to me on the internet to see, you know, we talked to someone who does a fishing show. He's in like somewhere in like the Southern US, in like a rural mm. area. And he has a fishing podcast. He's done like a thousand episodes, right? And that is awesome to me. It just seems like so pure and wonderful. Yeah. The fact that it exists alongside these professional operations. Absolutely. And it's something that, you know, broadcast radio can't do. It's something that the very large, you know, the very large media companies find it really hard to end up doing. You know, and I think it is what makes podcasting such an exciting and vibrant thing to be in. Yeah. Well, do you feel like that ability for amateurs and people with like a true passion for the medium, is that, is that ability that those people to break out going to continue? Is that going to continue in 2019, 2020 and beyond? Do you see consolidation? What do you see happening? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think firstly, you know, it's been very interesting noting just in the last few months, the amount of exclusive podcasts which are now being made, which are exclusive to one platform. So, you know, Spotify obviously doing this, Stitcher with their uh, Marvel stuff, the BBC is doing more and more of that now as well. And I suspect that we're going to be seeing a bit more of that, which is a bit sad, I think, because I'm not sure necessarily that people are going to download 20 different podcast apps just to hear, you know, a particular exclusive podcast. And also quite a lot of people say it's very difficult to break into the charts now that there are so many podcasts. I mean, more podcasts were released last year than ever. And clearly there's an awful lot of noise out there. But I would also say that actually there is still nothing stopping you. 
that actually, you know, if you have a great podcast, if you get it noticed by enough people, then you can have a hit as well. It's possibly slightly harder, but I don't think it's impossible for anybody to make a great hit podcast just on their own. And I think that's still a very exciting thing. That's good to hear. And do you feel like we're going to see any changes as far as, I mean, you mentioned exclusive shows, or do you see other changes on the horizon as far as the kind of the business side of podcasting, whether that's subscriptions or changes in ad models, anything like that? I would assume that we will see more subscription podcasts, which don't really exist at the moment, certainly in uh, North America. I would suspect that we're going to be seeing more of those coming in. I am really surprised that Apple still hasn't done this. Yeah. Because Apple has, you know, all of our credit cards and everything else, and, and it should be able to sort that out relatively fast. Himalaya, which is a podcast app which is sort of launching in North America at the moment, but has been very large in China for a long, long time. They are essentially running that in China, a subscription model for podcasts and doing fantastically well out of it. So I suspect that we'll see a little bit more of that. I also suspect that we'll see a bit of change in terms of where we get our podcasts. You know, Apple is about 60% of all podcast downloads. Mm -hmm. And you can then look at, you know, Spotify being maybe 20% and everybody else fighting for the 10. My suspicion is that Apple will continue to go down in terms of the total market share. But I also think that we'll see the reliance on Apple that we have as an industry also hopefully going down as well. Because, you know, Apple, it might be responsible for about 60% of podcast downloads. But when you start looking into other podcast apps like Pocket Casts and Overcast and all of those other ones, then actually what fuels them under the hood is the Apple Podcasts database. Yeah. And if the Apple Podcasts database wasn't there, then they could not operate in the same way. So actually, Apple is still probably controlling about 90% of all of the podcast downloads that actually exist right now. Right, because they're all built on the back of the Apple infrastructure. Exactly right, yeah. So to me, that's a big business risk that all of a sudden Apple turns around and says, you know, this API that we've been giving for free for everybody for a long, long time, yet we're just going to turn that off. (laughs) And there's nothing to stop them doing that tomorrow. And that's a concern. That would be really bad for us and everybody else. (laughs) I mean, everyone who's not Apple in the industry, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, that would be a real concern. And, you know, whatever the figures are, it was $314 million in 2017 from ad revenue. If you're running a $317 million business or $314 million business, then one of the things that you should probably have a look at is business risk. And one business risk is Apple turning around and saying, you know what? Yeah, we might turn that off tomorrow. I mean, $314 million sounds like a lot. Apple actually makes that money every 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. So from Apple's point of view, it's chicken feed. You know, and Apple themselves make nothing out of it. Right. So it's a real concern. And I think we should be tremendously grateful to Apple for everything that they've done in terms of podcasting. Because without Apple, podcasting would certainly be a very different space right now. But I think we should also just have our eyes open in terms of, well, you know, what does this mean for where the future of our industry is going if Apple is still responsible essentially for 90% of all podcast downloads? Yeah, I think you've hit it right on the head. I mean, the iPod was the pod in podcasting. Apple deciding to include podcasts in iTunes was a huge thing for the industry. Deciding to put the podcast app on iPhones by default Mm. with, I think, iOS 11 or something, iOS 9 maybe, was a big deal, right? That was one of the step functions in the industry. But also at the same time, they're this kind of benevolent sleeping giant that you have 
you know, to be frank, no real idea of what's going on behind the curtain. At least we don't. Mm. You know, we see certain things bubble up to the outside. We saw the podcast connects, podcast analytics, where Apple shares consumption and demographic, you know, very limited demographic data about listenership with podcasters that was publicly released in December of 2017. And as far as I can tell, very little has happened since then with that product. Uh, there haven't been a ton of announcements about any improvements or changes to things that they offer podcasters or to podcast consumers, to listeners. And so we are just kind of in this place as an industry where we're sitting kind of on Apple's front lawn or their turf, and we are all kind of pretending that that's just okay and that's just normal, right? Yeah, you know, I think we should just be, you know, careful and cautious. You know, it's a good thing that we've had new entrants such as Spotify and Google into this uh, space. You know, Spotify and Google, you know, both of them don't have APIs, at least public APIs yet. I've worked out how to get into the Spotify one. But, yeah. you know, even so, that's a bit more of a concern. And I think that, yeah, you know, we should just have our eyes open, you know, in terms of that. But, you know, having said that, weirdly, the reason why podcasting works so well and also doesn't work as well as it could is precisely because it's open and precisely because anyone can build a podcast app if they want to. Anybody can build something which uses the iTunes database in some way, shape or form. And that's been a great thing for the growth of the industry. So, you know, Apple would clearly need to be careful if they were going to be making any changes to it. Right. A lot of the things about podcasting that are awesome, like the fact that we were talking about earlier that a you know passionate amateur can create a hit show, you know, the reason that that's possible, like you said, is because of the decentralized nature of the entire platform. And if you look at all kinds of other features of the industry, like, you know, we've spent some time at Chartable looking at the podcast charts and you've spent some time talking about it on your blog and certainly in pod news. Mm. I remember at Podcast Movement, you were saying the Apple top podcast charts are really the podcast trending charts or I don't remember exactly what you called it. Yeah. But they're this, you know, a huge entryway into the podcast world for millions of people. And they have these like, great advantages that it's kind of this decentralized ecosystem and it's built to allow new people to enter into it, but also disadvantages that allow all kinds of weird manipulative behavior to happen. And that's, to me, just another example of this kind of yin and yang, the good and bad of what is awesome about podcasts. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, you can then take it through into stats because nobody really knows how many downloads some of the large podcasts are getting in terms of that. And that's very clearly your bag, but, you know, <laughs> and trying to divine stuff from the Apple podcast charts, which so far as anybody who I've spoken to so far says is purely a list of the amount of people who have subscribed to that particular podcast in the last week. Right. And that's as far as we can tell, that's there's nothing else that goes into it. Yeah. You know, if it's just that, and I think there are different conversations around top episodes and some of the other charts that Apple do. But, you know, the reason why podcast stats are in, in the interesting position that they are is precisely because there isn't one app out there which is dealing with all of the podcast downloads. It's precisely exactly. because there are so many of them. Again, it's a great place to be in. I mean, I've changed the podcast app that I've used three times over the last three months, I think. Wow. So what are you using now then? Uh, I am back to using Google Podcasts. All right. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it looks as if somebody else is working in that department now because they've finally okay. added a few more features in there, which has actually made it possible to use that as my daily podcast app. The big one is Android Auto, so I can actually have a listen in the car. Mm-hmm. 
And the only thing that I'm waiting for is the voice, what does Overcast call it? Voice boost okay. to make everything sound a bit louder. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I'm missing. But yeah, you know, you wouldn't have been able to flick between different podcast apps, Google's being a, an exception, but you wouldn't have been able to do that without podcasting being as open as it currently is. Right. And if you want to see how many views a YouTube video got, uh, you can go to youtube.com and look at the video and there's a view number yeah. in the corner because YouTube controls... Because you've gone to youtube.com. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was an article from New York Magazine, I'm sure you saw this, about how those view counts are like crazily inflated by bots of all different kinds or yeah. you know, human click farm traffic from around the globe. But still, it's like a very different industry where YouTube provides, what I understand, they provide creators with very detailed analytics about yeah. everything that's working or not working about their videos, which is pretty hard to come by in podcast world. Yeah. And, you know, you then bear in mind how the world of radio has worked out its figures. And the mm -hmm. world of radio, you know, it's a completely different world because, of course, it kind of has to be. But, you know, radio at the end of the day, the audience figures and TV is much the same, is worked out by a small amount of people, maybe two, three, four hundred, in one particular market, holding a little electronic thing which listens to what they listen to, as long as it's not on headphones. Um, and so you've got this little device, and then what they do is they multiply the listening by the three, four hundred people, by the amount of people in that marketing area, and they say, this is the amount of radio listening that you have. Now, you can look at that and go, well, that's archaic and that's ridiculous. But actually, it's not a bad way of putting it together. But again, there are clear faults with it in the same way that right. there are clear faults in looking at podcast downloads. There are clear faults at looking at, you know, the amount of people who are looking at your RSS feed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, right. as long as we have our eyes wide open in terms of stats and how they're built, then I think that, you know, there isn't really an issue here. Is just being able just to know how they're built and what they represent, you know, is I think important. Do you feel like the current state of stats in the podcast world is holding the industry back in any way? Do you know, I mean, I think it's absolutely fine. You know, Tom Webster from Edison Research says, if you ask him this particular question, he says, have a look at the amount of money that is still spent in newspaper and magazine advertising now. And what information do they have? Then right. They know that somebody has bought a newspaper perhaps. <laughs> and that's quite difficult. But do they know how many people have actually looked at page 16? And do they know how many people have actually read page 16? You know, no, of course they don't. And the newspaper industry, the press industry has succeeded quite happily without those types of stats. So no, I think we've got fantastic stats in podcasting. I think, you know, we have a great range of really interesting data. And I don't think it's necessarily holding us back. I think it's probably more an excuse for some people <laughs> who don't necessarily quite understand this particular space. And as soon as they grasp on something, which means that they don't have to understand it, then they're quite happy and going, oh, but the stats are wrong. You know, I suspect it's a bit more of that, to be honest. Oh, that's very interesting. So using stats is more of an excuse not to explore the medium or understand the medium more. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, everybody says there's problems with podcast stats, so therefore I won't be interested in advertising on it. Well, yeah, but everybody says there are problems with all forms of surveying, right? <laughs> you know? And I upset a few people by saying that, you know, no research is perfect, because it really isn't. But some research is more perfect than others. 
And actually, you know, there are certain ways that you can get better figures, get figures which tell you the correct story. But I don't think that podcasting is particularly bad at getting those individual, you know, information. I mean, you know, back in 2005, when I was busy working on the first podcast that I worked on, I was also running the website for the radio station that I was working for. And people were still talking about total hits on the website. I mean, we don't talk right. about that now, but total hits. And I was saying, oh, so so you've got 10,000 hits. And you seem to have 10 graphics on your front page. So that really means 1,000 page impressions. <laughs> and they went, what? <laughs> and it was a really interesting conversation. So, yeah, you know, so I think we'll get more mature at this as we grow up. You know, it's only a 13, 14 year old, you know, industry. And I think, you know, Podcasting is very rapidly growing up in the middle of its teenage years. And I suspect that, you know, stats is not the real issue that uh, some people think it is. All right. So if it's not stats, then what else do you think is changing as podcasting grows up? Oh, there's a question. (laughs) (laughs) What else do I think is changing? I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of years has been people who have come into podcasting because they have assumed that it's a way of making a lot of money very, very quickly. Mm. And what they've discovered is what other people who've worked in audio could have told you is that it's really difficult to make great audio. And it's then also really difficult to get that audio out to people so that they discover it. And I think what we've seen, uh, we saw a bit of this last year, and I suspect that we'll see a bit of this this year as well, is that those people that jumped into podcasting for the quick buck have realized that it's actually much harder than they thought it was going to be. And they may well scale down some of the things that they're working on. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when you look at ROI, when you look at earning money out of these things, then actually, you know, the New York Times Daily is a great example of a podcast that, yes, earns money by itself because it's got adverts, mostly for things that as somebody who lives in Australia, I can't buy. So it's a completely wasted <laughs> opportunity. But anyway, but a rocket mortgage. Why, why would I want a mortgage in America? <laughs> uh, but anyway... So it's partially that from the New York Times, but it's also partially the New York Times using that as a brand halo for what they do in their paper. For sure. And what they do on their website and everything else. And I think that that is actually the interesting side and a side which is much harder to put a bottom line on the accounts for is to actually see, yes, you know, you've got so and so many people listening to that podcast and you've earned this amount of money from the ads in it. But what has that also done to your business, you know, to your personal brand, to whatever else? What value do we put on that? And that's, I think, something that, you know, we still need to understand a little bit more, I think. For sure. It's interesting to think about how that audio fits into the larger picture of a media company's ecosystem, whether that's like, you know, New York Times also does video. They've Mm -hmm. had like short documentaries. They have articles. They have email newsletter. They have their podcasts. It's all the New York Times and it all kind of fits together. And I imagine it's probably pretty difficult to put your finger on how all the different dots connect. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I think it's always hard working out where you get that value. And, you know, I mean, there have been many people who've claimed, and I can't remember who originally came up with this uh, quote, but that half of the money that you spend in advertising is wasted, but nobody knows which half. Right. And, you know, and I would probably put that rather higher. I'd probably say that 80% of the money that you spend in advertising is wasted, (laughs) (laughs) to be honest. 
But the 20% that does work can work phenomenally well. Right. And it's just making sure, you know, I mean, nobody knew how successful the daily would have been. Right. And certainly when you compare it with others from some of the other papers and some of the other news organizations, you know, there's no comparison. So there is certainly an element, I think, of coming into this at the right time with the right product, of course, but actually understanding all of the value that you get out of something like that. Yeah. Well, is there anything that this might be shifting gears a little bit? So we've talked a lot about the decentralization of podcasts and how that's great and also terrible. Is there anything that you wish that you could change about the way that things work right now? Oh, gosh, there's a thing. I think the thing that would be really nice is to have, well, I was going to dive back into stats. So let's not, <laughs> let's not dive back into stats. We can live in stats if you want to. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, a proper chart of podcasts that isn't just related to Apple and isn't just related to, you know, to a subscribe button. Right. But anyway, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> We're working on it. We'll try to figure something out. <laughs> yes. Yes. If only I was talking to somebody that might be able to do that. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> certainly not on our roadmap at all. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think it's a huge and interesting problem. We've definitely been, you know, we have the word chart in our name as a company. Yeah. And, you know, the, the company started by just kind of grabbing the podcast charts and seeing if there's anything interesting happening there. You know, I'm still ultimately a newbie when it comes to the podcast world, uh, having been involved like less than a year. The more I dig in, the more I understand how people actually listen and how shows actually get made. It really does seem like the Apple charts are just a really poor picture of what's happening, right? Yeah. But solving that, I think, in a fair way that really gives credit to everything that's going on and also it is really balances. Yes. It's really hard. And also balances like accuracy with like some kind of level of like surfacing interesting stuff. Yes. You know, if you wanted to see the top podcast, at least in the US, it's like, okay, the next Joe Rogan episode, it's going to be big, right? Like, which isn't particularly interesting, right? Yeah. No, exactly. And it's interesting, you know, using Google Podcasts again for the first time, there appears to have been no geographical input into the trending charts on that. Right. So, you know, when you look at the trending charts, you know, Joe Rogan is always at number one and you're there going, oh, gosh, really? <laughs> and there's nothing which is, in my case, particularly Australian or, you know, I listen to a lot of UK podcasts, as you might guess. So therefore, nothing particularly British in there. It's just this sort of, you know, random. I mean, it might be targeted by language, maybe. One would hope that the Portuguese get a different view than the... <laughs> I certainly hope so. I hope they're not all being funneled into Joe Rogan's yes. RSS feed. Yes, exactly. It's but, all you paths know. lead to Joe Rogan, no matter where you are in the world. <laughs> yes, which would be a hideous thing. But yeah, yeah, you know, so, I mean, I think the language barrier is a very real thing. And I think, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a way of fixing that somehow? It's interesting when you look at into Europe and you look at certain countries in Europe, which are English speaking countries, then podcasting is doing tremendously well. So Sweden, which you might not think of as an English speaking country, but they are, of course, they speak English just as well as you and I, as well as Swedish. Right. You know, podcasting's huge there. You know, Norway, podcasting's pretty big. Once you look into places like Germany or into Spain, where the amount of English spoken is much less then actually you have much less in terms of podcast growth right now. Right. So I think it'll be interesting seeing if there are ways of fixing that in the future and ways of actually working out, you know, what that means for podcasting anyway. And it also comes down, of course, to, you know, what the ads are. 
Because, you know, I mean, I joked earlier about hearing ads for Rocket Mortgage and things here in Australia and for, you know, the weird amount of mattress companies that you folks in the US. <laughs> we just <laughs> love mattresses here. Yeah. It's just everywhere mattresses, you go. My goodness. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but all of those are pointless and a waste of time here, of course. Right. And I wonder whether there's, you know, whether there are ways that we can actually fix that. Because what we're essentially doing is we are conditioning a whole generation of podcast listeners that the ads are going to be irrelevant, that the ads are not going to contain anything that they can even get. So why bother listening? So therefore, why bother listening? And as soon as you hear that mention of stamps.com, why would I want US stamps? Then you can fast forward through, you know? Right. I think that's a really good point. And there've been some bits of work in that, but at the moment, it's all a little bit too uh, manual. And I think, you know, that would be something to have a look at, I think, in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds like a, it's a tough problem. So you have to really connect, you have to connect the technology side to the business as well and like try to find who's downloading what where and to get interested advertisers on board and to have them understand what they're buying yeah. and to have the podcasters understand what they're selling to whom. It's a lot of dots to connect. I mean, it's happened in other mediums, so hopefully it can happen here. Yeah, it's happening in other mediums. It's sort of yeah. interesting looking to see what Anchor are doing in this space as well. For sure. Because they are selling, you know, presenter red adverts at scale, which is something that's never been done before. And I think it'll be interesting to watch what happens with that, you know, as we go into 2019. Absolutely. I think they're definitely doing some of the most interesting stuff in the space for sure. Mm. So just wrapping up, I guess, on my end, what was your favorite podcast uh, of 2018? Well, I loved, there was a podcast made by the BBC and NRK, which is the Norwegian broadcaster called Death in Ice Valley, Yeah, which is, yes, it's true crime. But it was a true crime podcast that was properly, you know, really nicely done, recorded during the series. So they were actually able to react to what people were saying on social media about it, you know, recorded with an English guy from the BBC and a Norwegian woman. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful atmospheric podcast, which I really enjoyed. I loved it as well. And you had mentioned earlier, you know, how difficult it is to make great audio. I thought that the sound quality of that show was really something else, you know? Yeah. The way they captured the atmosphere and the voices and the, the vibes of different places. Exactly right. I mean, they just captured, you know, even from the first episode and you can hear them walking through the rain and the rain is on the umbrella and they've managed to record that in some form where it just sounds as if you're under the umbrella with them. You know, it's just an incredible, really nicely done. So I really enjoyed that. There's also another podcast that I really enjoy, which is completely different. It's a chum cast. It's uh, three people in a room talking with each other. <laughs> but I love it because it opens my head to a new world, which is a podcast called Rule of Three. Okay. And it's two comedy writers talking to a comedian about something they found funny. And it deconstructs how comedy works. And, you know, if there's something that, you know, podcasting is really good at, it's showing people into a different world than they don't inhabit and uh, helping share experiences that you don't have. And, you know, understanding how to write great comedy and, you know, just the science behind all of this. Absolutely fascinating. So that's another one on my top list. And I believe that the Pod News podcast is very good as well. <laughs> Yes, way to bring it right back to Pod News at the end. I was just about to say, if you're not listening or reading podnews.net, check it out. James yes, Cridland, thank you so it. much. You should read it. <laughs> read it. Uh, it's the primary. 
the primary <laughs> and to do subscribe. It really is uh, just an amazing resource, especially, you know, I'll say for us coming into this industry, I started going back into the archives to catch everything that we had missed, you know, as we were starting the company, because there's just so much context and so much value there. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat and really appreciate it. 